The Start On Demand. Hello, it's Brett. It's the Wednesday edition of the Mackling and McGarry podcast, minus the Mackling on the 680 CJOB Morning Show. He is back next week. Today in the podcast, you're going to hear us have coffee and talk about what to do to save money on vacation because there is a new hotel in Whistler, Canada's first pod hotel that is aimed at the cost-conscious traveler. We're also going to learn about a roadside memorial that is being unveiled to honor a young man who lost his life in a crash involving an impaired driver. And we'll speak with our friend, Dr. Raymond Abdul Rahman from Clinic Psychology Manitoba. We're going to talk about how to slow things down in the summer so it doesn't affect your mood in a bad way. Here we go. So have you guys ever heard of the uh, the pod hotel, Kelly? Would you sleep in a pod? I uh, no. Yeah, Jeff, no. how about you? No, I'm claustrophobic. Really? Yeah. Like full blown or just kind of enough that I wouldn't sleep in a pod yeah. unless I had to. Yeah, I'm, I, w- I would say I'm mildly claustrophobic. What about you, Jeff? Oh, I so would. Wait, really? But you're little. Yeah, look at me. I'm five <laughs> six. I can fit in so many different places. So a yeah. pod, no problem. And Shanley, would you sleep in a pod? Well, it depends on the circumstances and depends on how secure it is. So we're talking about this because Shanley found this release, this news release, that Canada's first pod hotel has opened in Whistler. It's the Pangea Pod Hotel. It offers value-conscious travelers a place to rest their weary heads at night with little space for anything else. A stay there is going to cost just over 100 bucks a person compared to $200 plus at nearby hotels. So today we're having coffee talking about saving money on vacation. What are you willing to put up with in order to travel on the cheap? Now these hotel, this hotel, I mean, we've been, I've heard about capsule hotels and pod hotels in Japan forever. Some of them are like, basically you just open this tiny little door and I guess a bed slides out and that's it. So where do you put your luggage? Uh, I think there is like a, I don't know about those ones, but this particular one, this Pangea, the pods are a little bit bigger. There's like a little slot for you to put your, your luggage, and there's a couple of shelves in the corner for you to put your keys and wallet, I guess. But other than that, you just crawl in, and there's a bed, and that's about it. I guess it makes sense, like, if it's for, like, people that just want to go on a ski trip, and mm-hmm. there's up at daylight and on the slopes all day and then, you know, at a, a bar all evening or whatever, and they literally just need a place to crash for seven hours. So do you just use the bar washroom then? <laughs> well, they, they do have also, uh, how does oh, this work here, bathroom. They have, well, they, oh. they, it's a shared washroom, Gross. but it's actually like three <laughs> washrooms in one uh, so that you don't have the big lineups. You have one that has a toilet and a sink, another one just a shower, and then a third one with just a sink. Yeah, so that, I don't know, I mean, it's looking to encourage those who maybe want to travel solo, but they don't want to splurge for the, like, let's say, you know, your buddies or whatever, you're going on this trip to Whistler, um, you don't want to cough up all the money for a full hotel room. I don't know that I could do it. Do they have TVs in that pod? Yeah, they are, they are, they're all, they're, they're equipped with amenities, they're like, it's a boutique hotel, but, so do you guys have any tricks for when you do go on vacation? to save some cash. Kelly, I, I'd uh, like to think you probably have a trick or two. 
I I tried one time. We we stayed in this place that we thought, oh, it's a great deal. Look good on the web. Oh man, what a mistake. Oh no. Yeah, it was bad. And it was even, you know, it was named the Kelly Hotel. Oh, <laughs> come on now. Where is this? Oh, or you can't. Okay, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll say where it was because the there there are two Kelly hotels. Uh, I can't, but I, the only thing is I can't remember whether it was Grand Forks or Fargo. Okay. So it was it was one or the other, but uh, it just didn't work out. Okay. Yeah. But as far as uh, as far as saving money, the only I mean this is not any great deal of wisdom, but the the one thing I always look at is okay, you've got your your price for your hotel, but if they're also giving you a full breakfast as part of that, you know, then then you have to say okay, for two people, breakfast is going to be anywhere between say 25 and 30 bucks. So take that off of the price that you're paying for the the room and it's not bad at all. So that, that's the the kind of thing we always look for. What about you, Chanel? You do a fair amount of traveling for your roller derby stuff. Have you uh, developed any tactics to save cash while you're away? Uh, yeah, not eating out. <laughs> Ever? <laughs> well, yeah. sometimes, but but the big thing is, uh, especially in England, where everything is super expensive, like twice as much as it is, is here, and then you have to convert it to Canadian. Mm. So we end up getting like just sandwiches, grab and go. We didn't eat in restaurants very often. I was kind of sad about that, but, you know, we need, it was costing us so much as it is. But we kind of do the, the Kelly thing. Like we look at, okay, uh, does this hotel have the free breakfast? How close it is? to our amenities are we going to need to rent a car so which is going to be the more best uh, bargain for the buck so usually we don't we usually it usually ends up being somewhere around in the middle it's not the it's not the the roach hotel but it's not the ritz either <laughs> jeff uh outside of looking for a deal on a flight and then like making sure a hotel's in an acceptable range that it's, I went to one, they're like, we're full. We have all we've got left is a presidential suite. Yeah. I'm like, how much is that? $700. I was like, yeah, I'll go find another place. <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, I don't worry about it. Cause my, my philosophy is, you know, you get 51 weeks a year to save money. And then when you're on vacation, just have fun. Yeah. And that's what don't I worry about it too much. That's what I try to do. Uh, although it depends on where you go. Like you, you save up, for example, when I go to Las Vegas, it's been a while since I've gone, but it is expensive to purchase a beverage in Vegas. I went to a bar, it was the Beatles Revolution Bar in the Mirage Hotel right next to their Cirque du Soleil show. And I walked up and I asked for a rum and coke and a gin and tonic and I gave him 30 bucks thinking I'd get some, like a fair amount of change back. Yeah. And I got nothing. And I just kind of looked oh. at him and... and Thought, okay, I guess, I guess that's these are the only drinks we're going to have tonight. Yeah. And uh, then I learned after that you are allowed to drink when you're walking down the strip, so you can walk into like a gift shop and buy. Yeah. I think I just had a Mickey in my pocket, and I just stop and buy a pop every here and there, <laughs> and that saved me a ton of money because instead of spending fifteen dollars every time you buy a drink at a at a sit down bar, so that's one way you can do it and still enjoy yourself. What about you, Fortier? Do you got any tips? Um, I don't travel that much, but if I were to say, you know, try to find family or friends and sleep on the couch. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's a good one. Why not? <laughs> okay, it's the best way to go. So, would you, if in the event that you didn't have access to family or friends, would you do look into something like a hostel? Uh, I don't know about that. Bench at the bus terminal. 
Hey, there you go. There my, you go. My daughter backpacked across Europe one year and, and went from one hostel to the other and swears by them. Yeah, I mean, uh, anybody I know who's done the hostel thing is very, they speak very highly of them. I think only a couple of people have had problems, but you can have you can have your safe robbed in your hotel, right? So. Yeah, well, and, and no disrespect, Channel Lee, but my daughter's a little different than you. She actually likes people <laughs> and, and doesn't mind being around them. So I don't know that you could handle, only from what I've heard in our conversations. I, yeah, yeah. We, we, it's funny because when we were looking for uh, England, all these hostels kept coming up in our hotel search, and then we found out there are hostels, and we're like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, especially yeah. if you've ever seen the movie Hostel. The, the other thing I always try to do, too, is, you know, especially if we're on a family trip and that sort of thing, yep. uh, try to find hotels that are close by uh, grocery stores and that sort of thing, because then in order, as Shannon Lee was saying, uh, to avoid uh, going out for dinner, and, and if you can get uh, something maybe with a little uh, mini fridge and and that type of thing, you can get now at, at grocery stores, uh, you know, dinner fairly cheap yeah, and be able to put the leftovers in the fridge for a nice little lunch while you're traveling the next day. So that, that also helps save a little bit of money along the way. Right now, we want to talk about something that happened on November 10th in 2010. 22-year-old Brett Yazinski was on his way to pick up his girlfriend to go see a movie, but he never made it there because shortly after he left his home, his vehicle was struck by an impaired driver. His memory is going to live on. The site of the crash, McPhillips and Grasmere, will be the place of Mad Canada's first roadside memorial sign for victims of impaired driving in Manitoba. And the sign is going to feature Brett's name and Mad Canada's red ribbon. It's going to be unveiled this afternoon. One of the special guests in attendance will be Brett's aunt, who is Melody Bodnarchuk. And she joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Melody, good morning to you. Hi there, Brett. Thank you very much for joining us today. So... So Brett was a 22-year-old, and he was hit by an impaired driver just minutes from his home, yeah. and he died at the scene. I guess, what can you, first of all, what can you tell us about Brett, about this young man? Uh, Brett was um, uh, having a difficult time heading into adulthood, so he came to live with uh, my husband and I, and he was blossoming. He had hopes for the future. He planned to go into law enforcement. He had a girlfriend um, that uh, he cared for very much, just bought a new sports car, which needed new tires. That's why he was driving our car that day. And um, he was a wonderful kid to have around. We really enjoyed having him here. So this memorial at the crash site at uh, McPhillips Street or Highway 8, and Grasmere Road, it's going to be the location for the sign. So when if someone's driving by this sign after it's unveiled, what will they see? They'll see um, a mad red ribbon in a, in a round circle above a, a rectangular um, sign that uh, says, In Memory of Brett Yasinski. And why is it important that this sign, this memorial, go up? There's so many reasons, Brett, but the the most important, I think, is to immemorialize the uh, impaired driving victims and um, 
to to let the community know that he's not forgotten. Um, another wonderful thing about it is it is a reminder of the devastation that impaired driving causes and that it kills and the devastation it causes to the families and the community. And uh, the other thing that I find it uh, does is it really tells you how supported you are by MAD Canada. They worked for three years to, to get this sign put up, and um, they never stopped supporting us. It's been eight years since Brett was killed, and the support is as great as it was day one. Why has it taken so long to get this sign up? I mean, it doesn't seem like that difficult a thing. Why would it take that many years to, to make this happen? Well, you apply, and then um, MAD takes the ball from there and works with the um, Manitoba infrastructure to make it happen. And the timeline, um, not too uh, familiar with uh, policies and procedures, that infrastructure, but it did take three years. Now, I mean, you've been associated with MAD for for a long time, and I need to ask you while I have you here... um, we have legalized cannabis, legalized marijuana coming up. And there are some who argue that it's okay to do it while you're driving, but that's, I, that's not true. Um, What do you, what do you have to, what do you have to say about that as we move into this new sort of new world order in Canada? Well, I'm not uh, um, at MAD anymore. My, my position ran out after five years, but um, here it goes. Um, Drug driving is impaired driving, and um, there are DREs, or drug recognition experts now in law enforcement, who do have the ability to do roadside testing. So I think one is um, fooling oneself if they think they can drive uh, impaired by drugs and not get uh, paid the consequences. Melody, and indeed, Melody, uh, I'm aware that uh, you're not with Matt anymore, but I, yeah. I wanted to get your opinion because uh, you've been, your voice on this subject has been a powerful one for so many years. And when it comes to Brett Yazinski and this sign, are there? It's the first one in Manitoba. Are yes. there other such memorials elsewhere in Canada? Yes, yes. other provinces have them have had the signs for a while. We've just had to work on it here. But um, I'm really thrilled that this is happening, and I'm thrilled for other uh, victims that they. I hope they come out today at 3 o'clock at uh, the corner of Grassmere and McPhillips and that they talk to Jillian about possibly having their loved one's name put on a sign. So to anybody who is thinking about going out on the weekend, maybe the long weekend, for example, and, you know, gets a little carried away with the drinking or some other substance, uh, what would you say to that person if they've got car keys in their pocket? I would say to them, please, if you've got family at home, if you've got friends, please consider the consequences of drinking and driving. Our family was devastated. Uh, Actually, my sister passed away last August, Brett's mom. Um, she was never well after Brett was killed, and her health just slowly deteriorated, and she passed away at 54 years old. And I really feel that it was because of a broken heart. She just couldn't live anymore. Well, Melody, thank you very much for taking the time this morning to, to tell us about this. And 
Again, this memorial will be unveiled today at 3 p.m. at the Grasmere Family Restaurant at 3750 McPhillip Street uh, or Highway 8 in West St. Paul. Melody, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brett. It's a public event, so everybody's welcome. Okay. Thank Mel- you. Thank you. Melody Bodnarchuk, who once again is the aunt of Brett Yazinski. If you're just tuning in, on November 10th, 2010, he was on his way to pick up his girlfriend. They were going to go see a movie. But Brett never made it there. 22-year-old's car was hit by an impaired driver just minutes from his home, and he died at the scene. So today, a memorial roadside sign will be unveiled to honor this young man at Grasmere Family Restaurant on McPhillips. It's time for Psychology and the City with Dr. Raymond Abdulrahman, psychologist with Clinic Psychology Manitoba. Raymond, how are you? I'm doing all right. A little bit sleepy, but I'm doing all right. So before we get into what we want to talk about, which is the summertime crash and and that kind of stuff, you like to relax. You were telling me off the air by watching television. So, of course, yeah. I'm one of the couch potatoes. I have to ask you, what do you like to watch? Oh, well, some of my, one of my favorite series is Black Sails. Okay. It's a Stars Network show. It's kind of this little hidden gem. I think it's absolutely amazing and psychologically powerful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, catching up on Breaking Bad. Good for you. Yeah. Have, have you never seen it? No, I tried to avoid it for the longest time. And what? Now we're kind of trying to... My wife's like, we should try that. We should try that. And so, yeah. Why'd you try to avoid it? I don't know. It didn't seem that interesting to me. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah. And? You haven't and been proven wrong? I, I don't like a lot of the characters. But I, like, it's like you enjoy not enjoying them. And you're like, why am I watching this? But yeah. You get stuck in the series and there you are. Yeah. Most of the characters are despicable in that show. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that person or that person. What am I doing watching this? And yeah, yeah, and, and you get addicted on it, uh, just like the blue magic that they're selling in the show, right? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the summertime crash is one of the first things we want to talk about here, because for a lot of us, summer means sunshine and vacation. But for others, this time of year can be gloomy, because I think people can put mental health on the back burner. Uh, but when they finally do get time for a rest, it can be too heavy. A burden. So we want to talk about what can be done to promote a more balanced lifestyle to help prevent mental health issues from piling up. So why don't we start there? The fact that for a lot of us, summer is sunshine and vacation and happy times, but for others, it it's not. It can be gloomy. Well, I want to take it back a little bit and talk a little bit about your classic seasonal affective disorder. I think most people would typically associate low mood with the winter time. Mm-hmm. And about 5% of North Americans struggle with something called seasonal affective disorder where they have depressive symptoms over the course, over the winter months um, because of a lack of sunlight, um, uh, because of less activity, and those things impact mood. But there's a lot of other things that start to impact mood as well too. And that's why some people experience low mood in the spring or sometimes at the end of the summer. Um, And some of those things just have to do with our schedules and the way I think that we balance workloads and and relaxation time, right? So uh, with summer being a time when kids are off, well, this is a time, you know, make hay while the sun shines, but it doesn't often give us the balance or the structure or the routine that we often need to to lead healthy lives. Well, yeah, because if you've got kids home now for two months, 
and you still have to go to work, you suddenly find yourself having to make sure that they're taken care of, but also that you can still go to work and take care of your day-to-day job so you can pay the bills. Right, absolutely. And so those are those are kinds of situations where we need to start to be mindful about how to balance out our lives a little bit better. And so, you know, we're joking talking about TV, but, uh, I mean, everybody has their thing that they there is function in not doing anything sometimes. Um, and I said to you earlier, like, I like to just turn off my brain, and that's one way for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, when we work with children, for example, we often find that, uh, you know, working on things like anxiety, they work really hard over the course of the year because it's a school year and parents really want them to do well and attend school. But then what happens is when they're off, they don't have any opportunities to kind of work on a lot of stuff that they should be working on that helps improve their anxiety. And so many people with, or many children in particular with mental health difficulties like anxiety will slide back in the summertime because there's no opportunities or structure to practice the stuff they need to maintain positive mental health. So what, when you say that they, they, there's no opportunity for them to practice, are they getting that practice in school? Yeah, let me give you an example. So let's say children with uh, anxiety or social anxiety where they have a hard time, you know, interacting with other peers. Well, um, you know, the more we practice the things that make us anxious, the less we avoid, the better we become at that. And so sometimes when anxiety is very severe, there's a lot of intervention and work that goes into helping those children kind of do that work over the course of the school year. And the structure of being at school and being around other people allows them the opportunity to face their fears. Then over the, then over the summertime, when people back away from that, there's no structure, there's no activity, there's less opportunity for them to interact with other children, the anxiety can slide back. And so the, often the recommendation is to make sure that their structure exists over the course of the summer so that there's no slide back. And similar things like that happen with adults as well too, right? Like we focus all our fun on one particular time of the year and then everything falls apart later, right? Because we haven't balanced it out over the course of the year. Um, We do that with the holiday season. You know, we emphasize everything on one time of the year and the pressure is higher then. And then we kind of fall apart after. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point that you bring bring up because in December, as busy as summer is, December is always my busiest month of the year because everyone wants to get together and be merry. So I remember not quite last year, but the, the year before, so in December 2016, every Friday and Saturday in December was booked up by the end of October. Mm-hmm. And it was fun, but by the end of the month, I had no energy left. I just, I needed to just not be around people because I was burnt. <laughs> I was burnt out completely uh, from a social perspective. I just couldn't take it anymore. Well, you give, you give, you give, you give, and then you don't find time for yourself and all this. And it's, that goes back to this issue of balance. Yeah. So with on the subject of kids, when you take them out of that structure, then like one of the things I dealt with when I was a kid, not dealt with <laughs> my mom, well, let's say my mom dealt with it because she was tr- constantly trying to chase me out of the house because I wanted to play Nintendo. I was always playing. I think I remember one game in particular called Blaster Master kept me inside and she wanted me to get out and see the sun, but I didn't want to go out and play. Yeah. And that would have a huge impact on mood. And again, that structure of needing to go to school forces people into a routine of engaged behavior, behavioral activation, something that promotes good mood and good psychological health. The more reclusive we become, you know, the more problematic, the more problems we tend to have, whether it's children or adults. Um, and, you know, without that structure, children tend to just stay indoors. 
play video games. Yeah. So what about another thing like uh, taking summer vacations? Let's say you you have a family. Like I'll use uh, friends of mine as an example. They just recently took their kids on a month-long tour through the United States. They've been planning this trip for years, and it culminated in a trip to Disney World when they blew their kids' minds because it was a surprise that morning. <laughs> so it was awesome for the kids. I haven't actually talked to them since they got back. I can only imagine that they're probably a little tired. Yeah. So how does, when you do something like that, when you take on a venture like that for the summer, how, I guess, what should you do to make sure that you you can re, re, recover, rehabilitate from that? Yeah, routine is critically important. So we can take our breaks and they're really important, but we need to find ways to kind of balance and take care of ourselves as well too. And sometimes that's, you know, we just focus on one thing and we don't balance out the other things that we need to do. Um, parents struggle a lot with that over the course of the summer months. Talk to any parents and they'll be like, I don't know what to do. There's this period, I, I've got a five-year-old and there's this period where there's no day camps or anything like that. Yep. And there's nothing structured to keep children busy. And so sometimes parents struggle if you've got to work on how do you keep children busy, you know, the few weeks before summer and the few weeks right before school where children are kind of going crazy because there's no opportunity to kind of utilize their energy or keep their mind busy. And then parents have to struggle to keep all that busy. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say here is to plan for those things in advance as opposed to waiting for them to kind of show up. You know, if, if we're not planning for them in advance and we don't think about what to do, we're kind of surprised by those events and that usually creates more chaos. Okay, we got to pause in a moment here, and I have some stuff to give away, so wait for that. But I, I want to ask you one more question before we do mm-hmm. check traffic and weather. What about if you are, like one of the cool things about the shift that I'm on right now is, I mean, yeah, it starts early, much earlier than most shifts, I think, but I get out of here early, and then I mm-hmm. can enjoy the day, and in the summertime, it's awesome because then I can go golfing or whatever. But what if you're working a shift like a like a 9 to 5 or a 10 to 6 where, you know, you look outside and it's nice and sunny, and but you, you're stuck inside working. Can that have an impact on your mood as the summer goes along? It can. Um, and there's a lot of research that talks about working less is increasing productivity. Um, and I think down the, I think in a little bit, I think we should talk a little bit about the other impacts that have the other things that have an impact on mood, including uh, shift routines, um, changes in timing, uh, daylight savings time. All those things are things that are we can manage as a society that we could control that would improve the health of our society. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman is here, a psychologist with Clinic Psychology Manitoba, and we've been talking about summertime, the crash, and how you can maintain your mood, and we want to talk about other things that affect mood, um, including, Raymond, shift work. I yeah. used to work shift work, and I was always... A total scatterbrain as yeah, a result. Yeah, absolutely. So not having a regular sleep cycle uh, will disrupt your sleep, and that would have an impact on your concentration, your memory, and your mood. So we were talking about shifts earlier. You could wake up earlier. If you if that's, a, if that's a consistent thing and you're out earlier, that's better for your mood, that's better for your sleep cycle than having a more erratic shift schedule. So that's important to know. Based on that, and going back to this kind of seasonal disruption in mood, um, daylight savings times is one of those ways where our, well, our general society shifts actually shift, you know, where we are forced to wake up earlier or wake up later. Um, there's some research to show that actually people's moves actually are disrupted at that time. 
Um, and there's not a lot of research to support the reason why we do it. So there's times where we get stuck in these patterns where we're complacent about things that we could possibly change as a society. Okay. Uh, and there's certain places that don't have daylight savings times. And there's a good reason for that. Like Saskatchewan. Like Saskatchewan. Greg, good Should thing we talk about the Rough Riders? Good thing Greg is not here. Uh, <laughs> he would be upset right now. So then what can we do? Like do you say, uh, you know, we, we make these, we accept these things as a society. So what can we do to, to so, help affect this thing? So here's the thing. So we often think about mental health and also like general human functioning as an individual issue. I think culturally we get wired that way that, you know, you got to take care of your own stuff mm. and nobody else is supposed to take care of it. What we don't realize is that we're all connected in one way or the other and that as a society, um, we can start to make decisions and changes that have an impact on our overall societal mental health. Uh, a simple thing like whether we choose to have daylight savings time or not can have an impact on our mood, right? Uh, and that's a leadership issue. Um, you know, how we choose to celebrate our holidays you know, are we going to focus all of it on one thing or are we going to open it up and be more inclusive and therefore have more celebrations? That kind of takes the pressure off just one holiday. And that kind of allows people to have a more balanced, you know, time where they have time off, time where they can celebrate. So you miss one, you catch the other. Um, those are really important things. Um, you know, even, I dare I say, a committee that addresses behavioral health or the mental health of our city can you imagine the positive impacts that we could have? We could make small little changes in our city, in our city planning, having more playgrounds. I mean, our wind love tip, our wind love tips talk about that. You know, having organizations and settings and festivals and all those kinds of things that promote generally more positive mental health. Those are things that I think that we can start to do. We can do that work ourselves. We can talk about getting help. We can talk about treating a problem. But this is more about preventing issues and working on a more like, uh, this is a public health issue. This is a mass scale change. Well, we've got the civic election coming up this fall. Is there anything you hope to see in the election? Well, I, I always am really surprised that, um, you know, we have these experts. Um, we have scientists and practitioners who do a lot of work with people. They're experts in people and politics and everything related to it is about people issues. And I'm always stunned to see that those two Groups of people never really connect. Um, you know, I think we have a lot of experts. The information stays in these kind of academic journals and that never gets out to where it needs to be to make effective change in society. And I think leaders, including the leaders coming up for mayoral candidates, need to be thinking out of the box. They need to be innovative and you need to find ways to make change that affect all of us. And it's got to go beyond the Portage and Main issue. You know, if that's the only thing we're paying attention to, I think we are thinking too short-sighted. I think we need to be thinking, looking forward, and how do we have greater impact on our overall society? Maybe that's part of the plan. Maybe that's maybe it's let's focus on Portage and Maine, so we don't oh, yeah. focus on anything else. <laughs> well, I, I can't say that, but perhaps that is the case. And maybe Portage and Maine is one aspect, but I think we have to think bigger, and I think we need leaders that think bigger, and I think we need leaders that are innovative and pull in experts, right? Uh, those leaders are experts in what they do, but if you're going to be working with people, you need, got, need to pull in experts who work with people. Raymond, we got to go, but uh, give you a second here for your plug your social media and uh, your website. Yeah, so uh, please check out our Win Love campaign. Please like and share those kinds of things. That's how we get good information out there. We encourage people to do that. Winlove.ca. We're on uh, Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, you can also check out our public mental health campaign uh, at clinicpsychology.com. 
Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, psychologist with Clinic Psychology Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.